We're unabashedly obsessed We've got to get it off our chest Please sit there and be quiet Hey everyone. Hello. Welcome to Unabashedly Obsessed. I'm James. I'm Aaron. On our show we like to talk about things related to pop culture. And not so pop culture. And this week we're doing a special episode where the topic was selected by one of our $10 tier patrons, Amity. Hi Amity. Hi Amity. And this is actually, as I think we mentioned last week, Amity's second year of picking a topic. Because Amity is awesome. Amity is awesome. This year Amity picked another very good Far more actually Stephen King related topic yes. than last year where she picked something that seemed like it should be Stephen King related, but actually wasn't. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> um, she picked the 2001 adaptation of the, well, the movie's called Hearts in Atlantis. It's an adaptation of a story from the book Hearts in Atlantis called Low Men in Yellow Coats. Yes. Which, which is I, confusing. <laughs> and, and which I have not read. I have not read Hearts in Atlantis or any of the things contained therein. And I but have. You have. I have. I don't remember why I picked that one to read in particular, but I did. And I I feel like I maybe heard that it wasn't good. And I was like, all right, well, let's give it like, like in my quest <laughs> to see if I can find a Stephen King thing that I'm like, ugh, this is bad. And that, that was a nope. I, I loved it. It was great. Yeah. Um, we have found a couple things that were not for, the, that were not for you. There were things that like, I'm like. Like eh. the here, here be tigers. That's story? The, that's the one. That's the yeah. one thing that I can point to and be like the the poem in that in that book was also sort of weird yeah. too. But other than those two specific things, like there's been nothing. Like there are parts of the Dark Tower that sort of drag a little bit. Like the whole first book. Uh, like the whole first book, <laughs> many parts of the third book, and that's pretty much it. There's a part in the third book that I'm like, I was like. Uh, okay, let's get going. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. But um, everything else in, in that series is pretty good. Yeah. But so yeah, this the the book was really good. So I was really interested to see this adaptation, which stars Anthony Hopkins uh-huh. and the late Anton Yelchin. Yes. Who m- many people, well, some people will know as the as Chekhov in the Star Trek reboot series. He's probably is he best known for that? I guess so. That's the only thing that I, I didn't realize he had done anything other than that. I remember when he died, people were like, oh my God, he was so great in this and this and this and this. So like, I think actually Hearts in Atlantis is one of the things that people mentioned. Said he was great in? Now, okay. I guess that's the first thing we should do. So he's 11 or 12 in this in this movie. He was fine. He was definitely theater kidding a lot. He was no worse than a lot of child actors. Yeah. He was not the best child actor I've ever seen by a long shot. Agreed. It, but did that feel like choices? I feel like we one of the themes of this show is choices versus directorial like instructions. And I feel like I feel like he was instructed to perform in a certain way. Yeah, I guess. Because the way he talked to Ted, who was Anthony Hopkins' character, was like. Like someone told him, talk to this man like he's a peer and talk to your peers like you're an old man. Yeah, it was, it was, it was weird. I told James, part of the problem is that when you put any average ability child actor in a, on screen with Anthony Hopkins, they're gonna look bad. Right. Um, and that's a fair point. That's a fair point. <laughs> but <laughs> like, I'm trying to think of, I can't off the top of my head think of a particularly good Child actor. I keep wanting to say Haley Joel Osment, but I don't 
it's been so long since I've seen any yeah. of the stuff he did as a child. I can't remember if he was actually particularly good. I want to say like the Stranger Things kids, but they're older than than this child was. Yeah. They're 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 in that like 13 14 area yeah. where you have sort of at least you're getting you can have a certain control over your body and and know sort I of what the I guess the Stand by Me kids were kind of in the same boat. They were a little bit older. Yeah. The little girl who plays Lugnut on the second season of Future Man is pretty good. Okay, I haven't seen that yet. Oh, okay. Well, there's a little girl named Lugnut who's pretty good. Okay. I I, th- I have a feeling that Future Man season two is coming, is in the next five. Mm. No? Oh. It's fine. Oh, interesting. Okay. It's, I mean. Oh, yeah. okay. Cool. I don't, I don't feel the need to do a whole episode on Fair it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. I think season three is going to be great. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we'll, we'll toss that in like a potpourri episode or something when when you watch it. Okay. okay. Unless you think that you've when you when you watch it if you think that there's enough to make a whole episode about. But I think I could I probably have like 5 to 10 minutes worth of conversation uh-huh. to have about it. Okay. Interesting. All right. Well, okay. Yeah. I uh, continue to be delighted by Wolf. Sure. That's it. That's, That's all. It. <laughs> oh no, you've said one of the things. <laughs> no, no, I said the thing. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, Haley Joel Osment was very good in this season. Okay. Yep. I forgot he was in it. Yeah. Um, That's probably why I thought of that little girl. Right. Is because I had said Haley Joel Osment earlier. Yeah. But like, I mean, he, he, this Anton Yelchin and this child actored in the way that like, we mentioned Mara Wilson earlier. I feel like it's about the same level of, there's a little bit of hamming it up in places that just feel like... Adults are watching. Do the thing. Yeah. Do the thing you do. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the girl in this kind of did the same thing. Did you ever see uh, Parenthood, the Steve Martin no. original? No. So Joaquin Phoenix is in it mm-hmm. as Leaf Phoenix. I remember when he went by that. Yeah. He Again, he may be 12 or 13 in this, but... He had a, 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 he was, he felt like a grown up actor. Like he felt like okay. this is, uh, Jodie Foster in the, in the 70s also felt like. Yeah. Like she, I mean, to a sort of scary degree of like, whoa, you are too young to be acting this damn old. Like. Yeah. Like, but you, cause you don't, you don't want, you want your kid to act believably kiddish. You know who I feel like we're all pretty good child actors? The cast of um, Now and Then. But again, they were older. Yeah. And girls. And I feel like you can't necessarily... I realize that every example I've given so far has been girls. Well, except for Haley Joel Osment. Yeah. But then, I, but I said, but was he good? I can't remember. <laughs> fair, fair. I <laughs> mean, if I you feel think like of... you can't necessarily hold girls of that age and boys of that age up to the same standard just because they're developmentally very different. I mean, I feel like River Phoenix was miles ab- above, like, Jerry O'Connell. In Stand by Me, I feel like there there are yeah. there are degrees. Yeah. Um, I think, but if you think of Thora Birch in Hocus Pocus, she wasn't knocking anything out of the park, but she was I w- okay. I would say he was about on par. Eleven-year-old Anton Yelchin was about on par with eight-year-old Thora Birch. Fair enough. Okay, we 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 found it. <laughs> it only took us eight minutes to get there. Yeah, I think that. I mean, I thought the girl um was fine. She, she was fine. Honestly, I liked her better at the end. Yeah, when she was, when play, she was, when she was playing an older character, right, right. But yeah, it was. I mean, overall, I liked it. Not having read the book, yeah, it did feel 
like, I mean, it, it tied up all of the loose ends and stuff, but it still kind of had a feeling of, I think I feel like there should be more. And I don't know if that's just because yeah. I know that there's more, because I know right. that the stories in the book... So this was the novella that opens the book. Correct. And then there were three short stories. I think there may be four, actually. I think, there, okay. I think there's a sort of... I love using this word. Denouement. Okay. Um, of this of the of the first story, which doesn't, which was sort of, it felt like a, an epilogue chapter. Okay. Um, at the end, I don't know how much it really counted as a short story. Okay, but like, so I knew, and they're all inter, like they're all connected. Characters from each of them sort of appear in each other's stuff. Yeah. Like, and it it's it's supposed to be. I think Stephen King basically like doing a look at the '60s as a decade. Yeah, through these short stories. Because from what you said, the second story stars the girl from this Correct. when she's in college. Right. Okay. In like the the like sixty four, sixty five. Yeah. And then like the next story is like sixty seven, sixty eight, and then like the last story is like sixty nine, and then I guess the and then the the epilogue is like present day. So like yeah, it's it's supposed to be like these sort of glimpses of the whole decade and and whatever. I think that like. What I've just described, if I was hearing it, I would be like, uh, sounds sort of textbooky. It's not. I mean, it's very Stephen King writing a short story. There's this whole, the, my favorite story, and it involves this, like, whole, I remember, I remember which way it goes, but like, he is either, no, he's a, he's like this rich businessman who okay. like goes through this whole routine every day of like crawling up into his air shaft of his office where he works and like, going to a different office and, like, changing into, like, homeless man clothes and, like, going out and, like, paying penance. I've heard you talk about this yeah. before. I don't think I re- remembered that that was from this yeah. book. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the level, it's the kind of Stephen King where I think that um, uh, Craig and Andrew don't like Stephen King. Uh-huh. But it's the thing Craig where Craig and Andrew from Overdue. Right, from Overdue, right, right. Um, sorry, I'm just on a first name basis with them. Yeah, no, I am too, but, uh, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know. We have to remember that not, people, a, not right. everybody right. is as well connected right. as we are. But it's the thing where, like, it's like a, a very detailed description. I think I may have brought it up when we talked about the grave robbing scene in Pet Cemetery, Because it's, it's the same level of, like, huh, I wouldn't have thought of all this detail for this sort of one action right it th- those two scenes remind me of each other in like not plot ways but like uh revelation ways like yeah. uh um writing ways yeah so this story is very much of the stephen king the the branch off of the stephen king tree that is young boy befriends old man yeah yeah it really is and, wow and s- some things of questionable supernaturalness happen right much like the gunslinger. Sure. Or, no, not no, the gunslinger didn't have the little boy. The movie The, the Dark Tower had the little boy. The gunslinger, the book has has Jake in it very, very Yeah, but he's not friends with Roland at that point. Not to the degree where Roland doesn't kill him. Right. <laughs> they, yeah. They're not they're not not kill me friends. Yeah. <laughs> not, I, I was getting the book confused with the movie where they were buddies. Right. Kinda still wanted to kill him, but that's because he was an annoying kid. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, I'm trying to think off the top of my head what other Stephen King stories fall into that category, and I'm drawing a blank on everything except Apt Pupil. Which is... Which is not exact... Was that also Anthony Hopkins? No. That was um, Ian McKellen. That was Ian McKellen. I... Yeah. Mc... McKellen. McKellen. Yeah. There are things like... Um... 
uh, like the Langoliers, where there's like an older, like mentor character, and yeah. like a, I mean, like not necessarily boy to old man sort yeah. of deal, but like Revival has that aspect in it. I haven't read all of Revival. I started listening to it yeah. and then got distracted by podcasts and then had to return it to the library where yeah. it auto returned. I need to get back to it. It was it was interesting. Um, Bill Hodges. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Again, Jamal is a teenager, right. but it's has yeah, yeah the same flavor. Yeah. The Shining has that element to it, where where Danny is mentored by um, uh, I don't remember what his name was. The frankly, the magical black man in The Shining. Okay. Um, is sort of like a I'm this old guy. I'm magic too. I know your magic. Hope I don't die from an axe. Okay. Oops. There was a bit of it in eleven twenty two sixty three too between Jake and Bevian. Alan. Oh, okay. Oh, the guy that in the TV show didn't leave. The the guy that showed him the rabbit hole. Oh yeah 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 no yes Jake and and the and Al yeah Al okay I was close and then where Jake is the younger of the two right and then also Jake and Bevy and Richie right and then Jake and Mike and Vinny I think Vinny is correct and then in the TV Vince? Sh- maybe it was Vince maybe I don't Vince remember. yeah the the kids that he yeah, taught that drama he taught. to and then in the TV show. The guy that in the book was an old guy, but in the TV show, he was this... We talked about this on the TV show thing. Yeah. Where he basically followed him around, like came with him to Texas and stuff. Yeah. That kid had that same sort of... I mean, that was an older sort of older brother sort of situation yeah. as opposed to a father thing. But like, yeah. Yeah. There's 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 all sorts of that throughout. Stephen King has a handful of themes that he just peppers throughout his... In his books. I'm reading from a Buick 8 right now, and there, there's a there's a young kid whose dad dies, and then his dad was a cop. So, like, the old man in that story is, like, all the cops. Just every cop oh, that okay. worked with his dad, like, is all sort of, is like... Is the father figure. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's... we. It was funny. Before we started it, I joked with you that without... I thought... So, there's... The book has Dark Tower uh, connections. Sure. Um, bi- uh, big DT on the Wikipedia as opposed to little DT. Actually, no, I think that's on the Wikipedia. I know that's in my own personal Stephen King spreadsheet, Lexicon. but I think I got that. I think I grabbed that from the Wikipedia. Okay. Um, but like, there's like things what is, where what is the little DT? It's like where it's like oh oh you big, could big DT is this is very much a dark tower right. This is literally something from the dark tower happens, and I think like. It is Little DT, where it's like okay. the monster that is in this part of the Dark Tower is sort of related to Pennywise in sort of function. Okay. So it's sort of like, eh. you Or like someone will mention a gunslinger okay. as being a thing, and it'll be like, okay, that's a, that's a Little DT because it's like not really, yeah. but kind of. Sure. But this, this, this particular novella is specifically like... The character of Ted Brautigan appears later in the Dark Tower. Yeah. So I was telling you, I was like, without that element to it, this is literally just going to be weird man comes and hangs out with kid. And the end, it the, kind of that was. sort of was what it was. I mean, weird man goes into trances. Yes. Where you know because you have read the book right. that he is going into a trance where his consciousness is visiting the realm of the dark tower. Yeah, he's kind of he's kind of astral projecting against his will kind of. Yeah. Um they used they used him spoiler for the book 
or the Dark Tower series. I don't know. Let's just let's come. Can we not with the with spoiler alerts for Dark, for Stephen King stuff? Yeah, they use him as like a battery. Okay. Um, they use people with The Shining in this the like shine. Time, with The Shine, right, right, as like power sources. Okay. And that, that's where he, in the, in this and in the book, he's like, you know, I got away from I got away from them, and they have I have something they want. Right. It was his shine because it got was like it. they they it's kind of like psychic batteries. Okay. As I recall from having read it like 12 years ago. So like. Okay. (laughs) But yeah, so I was actually surprised that this movie was super, actually fairly faithful to the the novella. Yeah, that's what you said. And I think that's why it left you feeling sort of like, okay, yep, everything's sort of wrapped up. But like, knowing there's more sort of feels like. Okay, so what? Like, not not so what, but like... Well, it's like, knowing that there's more, I can see where the opportunities in the movie for there to be more yeah. would be. Yeah. If you had not told me that there was more, yeah. I think I would have been satisfied with how everything was wrapped up. Yeah. The, the, the part of the story that I had forgotten could have been more, more of like a tragedy, like a sort of you know, Shakespearean style tragedy where like it was a misunderstanding and a bad situation misunderstood by someone coming into a scene that I recall in the, in the book and in this was sort of very quickly diffused by the kids being like, no, 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 it's not what it looks like. Come on, stop it. Oh yeah. 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 Um, the thing with the shoulder. Right. That we probably don't need to, we don't need to get into it. it there's a oh, thing. I was where... going to say that we don't need to worry about spoiling. Oh no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say like, so, I mean like there's a part where there's sort of a, I don't know if it's our if it's like our generation or I mean kind of no because this took place in the 60s and there was a feeling and our of, generation didn't exist. Well, I'm saying like I felt really weird about the relationship between Ted and Bobby for the whole time. Like I felt like it was fine, but it was sort of like it didn't feel inappropriate. It just sort of felt like no one's saying anything about how this 11-year-old just sort of struck up a friendship with the old man lodger? See, I didn't find it weird at all. Hmm. I was like, you know, there's this kid who is, you know, it need like is looking for a father figure. Yeah. You know, his dad died when he was a kid when he was little. Yeah. He hasn't had a father figure. This older gentleman who seems perfectly nice and is willing to talk to him when his mother is absent. Which Frequently is. I want to talk about the mom, but one of the plot points is it opens with the kid's birthday. Yeah. And the mom has to work that night. So he spends his birthday by himself, except for this older man who had moved into the apartment upstairs. Yeah. And who happens to be down on the porch while the when the kid comes outside. And so they start chatting. Yeah. And like it, it did not seem like an unlikely friendship to me. It, I guess it, I mean, it felt like a, they had a, a, a decent rapport, they were comfortable with each other, they, whatever, you know, they would say, they, they each said in things that interested the other person. Yeah. Everything felt fine. I guess what I'm, I'm sort of looking at it from like a, I don't know, like a sort of, like, I know it's fine because I, I, I see it. I saw it happen and I know that it's, it's harmless and whatever. Right. But from a perspective of like Carol's mom. Where it's like, okay, your kid is, you know, my daughter's going over to hang out at her friend's house. And what they'll be doing, perhaps unbeknownst to me, is chilling out with the old man who lives upstairs. And 
I know I know personally that it's fine because I've seen him and I know that he's a good guy and I know he doesn't have any bad intentions. I just think it's weird that it's that no one was that like the mom was like, "What's going on now?" I mean, okay, I guess I guess it's fine. Like, I mean, see, I don't know. I feel. I mean, we didn't get to see anything about you know. Did Carol's mom ever come hang out and get to know Ted? Yeah. So maybe Carol's mom had seen because the uh, Bobby's mom was very resistant to the two of them spending yeah. time together to a point where I thought that her vibe of this is not an appropriate friendship was a bit inappropriate. Yeah. Like, come on, let your kid have something. You have literally not given him anything to make him, like, because of your choices, this kid has nothing going for him. Yeah. Let him have this friendship. But, like, I don't know. I feel conflicted because I'm like, maybe it's just that we didn't see it. Maybe I can console myself in that. I don't know. I just felt like... Maybe he was channeling the way that Bobby felt. When he when he was talking about Carol, and he's like, oh, that Carol sure is a special girl. Like, she sure is, like, she's, like, she was walking by, and he's like, she's real special, huh? And Oh, yeah, see, I just took that as, hey, I can tell you like that chick. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess it's fine. I got, I got a weird feeling like I, sh- I think it was this. I think I felt like I should feel a little a little off about it like 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 that that it shouldn't that this friendship is is not a normal one not that there needs to be a normal friendship but like that it was because you know the neighborhood I, i guess i sort of felt myself seeing things through the eye of the neighborhood okay and and sort of like james the viewer knows what's up right but james as as member of the neighborhood feels sort of like he's been hanging out with the the new old man who we don't know anything about no one knows anything about this guy maybe it's the trusting part of me that is like well you know if i were the neighbor i would be like oh it's you know for one thing bobby's mom must have vetted this <sighs> Yeah, Dude, which she clearly didn't she knew nothing about this guy i wonder if they were both lessees like if it was a house that someone else was the landlord. That you know what you're right because she said at the beginning that when his dad died he left three months of unpaid rent. Right. So yeah. So Ted moved in because there was George, an empty apartment upstairs. Yeah, somewhere else. Some yeah, someone else was uh, like, I'm letting the thing. See, I had completely forgotten about the about that element of it because the whole time I'm sitting here and she's like bitching about this old man living upstairs, <laughs> and I'm like. You cl- you keep talking about how you need money. Why are you not glad that this guy is here helping you pay your mortgage? Right. However, the door into his house was in the middle of their house. Yeah. So that's kind of weird, right? It was a weird setup, definitely. Like, if she didn't own that house for the only way for him to get into his apartment was to walk through her living room, yeah. that's weird. Yeah. That's really weird. But it feels like there was another way up. Maybe I feel like there was an outside. Was there like a back entrance that like led to the porch? Yeah, there. Yeah, had there to had have to have been because how else would Ted have gotten out to the porch when Bobby was on the phone with his mom on his birthday? Yeah, unless I guess maybe he'd been out there for a while. Yeah. I don't know. Or magic. Yeah, or magic. <laughs> Can we talk about the mom? Yeah, let's talk about the mom. And I really I want to talk about the mom and also Stephen King and moms. Okay. So yeah, let's talk about the mom in this. So, yeah, so this opens with Bobby's birthday. Yeah. And he opens his birthday card. 
and it has an adult library card in it. His Ooh. mom has gotten him a, li- a, a his own library card that allows him to check out books from the adult section, not just the kids section. Right. Which I guess was a thing in the 60s. I mean, Or maybe it's a thing in other areas. It's still, like, the kids have library cards that are, like, I guess there's not a restriction. I mean, the kids' library cards are a different color than mine, but I chalked that up to the fact that I got mine years ago. Yeah. But... So Bobby's disappointed because he wanted a bike. Right. (laughs) And his mom kind of goes off on this tear about, you know, stop making me feel bad because I can't afford to buy you things. You know, when your dad died six years ago, he left us all these debts that we have to pay off. Yeah. And at the time, I said to you, I was like, how long does it take to pay off three months of rent and some bills? Right. Like, I get that it takes time, and I don't know what her salary is, but she is an attorney, or... She's not an attorney. No. Nope. She's a secretary at some... And like a marketing... Yeah, like an um, ad or marketing agency. Yeah. So you kind of have the feeling that she probably makes pretty decent money for the right. time. Right. And his friends make a bunch of references to how his mom is always buying pretty new dresses for herself. And he's like, well, she has to, you know, look good at the office. Right. So he doesn't begrudge her that. And so at the beginning, I'm sitting there thinking... It's a little weird, but like this poor lady, she probably honestly wants to buy her kid this bike and she feels really bad because all of their money is going to necessities. Like, right. And then the kids made the comment about all of her dresses. And I was like, that's, I mean, she doesn't need a bunch of new dresses to continue to look nice at the office. Right. But maybe there's some expectation on the part of her employer. In, In the book on that point, I feel like it was made more clear that, like, she was, it was, like, a career path thing that I think that her boss was sort of, like, you know, if you dress nicer, dress, sort of, like, dress for the job that you want. Yeah. Sort of deal. So, you need to be, you need to look professional and whatever, which meant wear new dresses that are weird, like, designer. Yeah. They were, like, nice clothes. Not just, like, your typical blouse and pencil skirt, but, like. Right. Like cocktail dresses and right. stuff. Yes. So as the movie goes on, you see her at her desk calling yeah. Bobby to say, I'm sorry, I can't take you out to dinner at your birthday. I have to work late. Right. And she's sitting there with her boss in the background, and you can see him watching her. And it was a very creepy vibe. It was like a leer. He was definitely like yes. leering at her. So I'm like, is she sleeping with the boss? Right. Do, is it just that she's afraid she'll lose her job if she doesn't work late and let him do things to her? Right. So she can't, and she can't afford to lose the job, so she puts up with, like, it was very unclear yeah. exactly what was happening, but I was under the impression at that point that she did not want it. Right. And then, just before kind of the climax of the movie. Yeah. She tells Bobby she has to go away for the weekend. She's been invited to go to this, like, weekend seminar. Right. And they never invite the secretaries. This is, like, a really big deal. Right. And it's very clear that her boss is a lech. She's, like, buying all these new clothes and, like, trying on. There's, like, a whole trying on fancy clothes montage that was, frankly, kind of unnecessary. It was, it was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was fine, but it added three minutes to the movie that didn't need to be there. Yeah. And so she gets in the car with her boss and these two other dudes. And it's just, it's just weird. Like, there's just a weird vibe that made me feel like, okay, 
she wants this. She is going away with the boss to sleep with the boss for the weekend. This is something that everybody is on the same page about. Yeah. And then you see her in her hotel room calling Bobby that night. And the boss comes in and rapes her. Right. Like beats her up and rapes her. Right. Beats her up because she tries to fight back. Right. Like rips her dress, splits her lip. Right. Gives her a black eye. Right. I don't understand this woman. Okay. So... Like all, all of this is to say, I don't, I don't understand her yeah. because she's putting all of this effort into her appearance for a boss that she clearly doesn't, you find out she clearly does not want to sleep with. Right. It appears that she has not slept with him. Right. Because if she had, she would not have seemed so surprised when he showed up in her room. Right. On this weekend that was just her and three dudes. Right. That she had bought. But why did she buy all the fancy dress? Like, why is she depriving her kid of a bike, a baseball glove? Like, all of the... Yeah. Not that every kid needs to have all these material things, but, like, he kept saying, he's like, you always get what you want, and I never get anything. Right. You never let me have or do anything. It's always about what you want. Right. And you get the feeling that that's actually true. Yeah. I think... In the book, I I think I recall that all three men raped her. Like I think it was sort of a a worse situation. I don't sure. I don't recall that specifically, but I sort of recall it being important that it was like her and three guys. Okay. And it was like this feels like a weird situation. I mean, it did okay. any, it did yeah. anyway. Yeah. Like I just the for me, the movie was very unclear exactly what her motivations i guess were yeah like is she buying these new like all of these fancy new clothes just in general and specifically for this trip because she thinks it will help her get a promotion and if so how long has she been doing this and clearly not getting a promotion so why doesn't she say maybe this month i don't need the new dress maybe i buy bobby a bike maybe not the fancy bike he's eyeing but like, instead of giving him a free library card for his birthday, maybe you buy him a not-as-expensive bike. Right. Yeah. Because that gold dress she was wearing had to have cost as much as the bike. Right. And I guess it wasn't... I guess we're, we're to, be, to believe that it was a thing that she bought and not a present from him. It's yeah, not... because again, if it there was nothing to indicate it was a gift from him. Right. There was no opening of a box right. or bringing a box home from the office or anything. Right. And it and that would be weird right. if her boss was like, "Hey, I bought you this pretty cocktail dress." Right. I think here's how I think it was. No, and also I want to I want to sort of rope this in with the um, it's a it's a an account of the '60s. I think that it has something to do with like women in the workplace trying to figure out how to succeed in the workplace and sort of a, you know, how to use, like, I think it may have been, I'm going to say caveat right here. Rape is so bad and, and no, and no one is ever asking for it. Sure. That is not, that is not what I'm about to say. Okay. I think that it's implied that she's like, I know that my boss has a crush on me. So if I sort of flirt with him a little bit, Right. Maybe he can get me like I'm a secretary now, but I'd like to be doing his job. Sure. And if I flirt with him a little bit and sort of, you know, give him a smile and work late and whatever, 
that'll, you know, wear nice dresses and whatever. Sure. That'll help me get to a career that I want. Sure. And then it was sort of like, hey, it's working. See, he said I'm, I can go to this conference. Right. And then it's like the worst. Yeah. <laughs> the, then then the conference, like uh, what Ted says, you didn't know that the that the conference was going to basically just be sex and, and, and booze. Like, yeah. I think that there's also an element of of Bobby reminding her of Bobby, her husband, in sort of a rough way. Because I did he he died? That's that's established. Yes. yes. How did he die? Do we know? It I the movie didn't say to my knowledge. Because I got the impression that he left. I did too. I had the impression that he left, but Bobby was five. Right. So. That's old enough to remember. I mean, I guess if he left in the middle of the night and right. mom said, oh, there was a car crash. Right. Yeah. I, I don't recall that specifically. I got the impression that he left because he couldn't stand to be with her anymore. I mean, I don't blame him. She was kind of terrible. She kept talking about him like he was like some kind of deadbeat. But then when Bobby meets the bartender who knows him yeah. or knew him, she's like, oh, yeah, no, he was really great. He like... You know, he was actually not bad at cards like your mom's been telling you. And everyone liked him. He was so generous. Everyone, Yeah, everyone liked him. Like he, you know, was just kind and a good person. And I don't know why you're saying all these bad things about your dad. Right. And there is, an, there is a possibility that he was, that both are true. That out playing cards and whatever, he was very generous and he was very kind and gregarious and great. Sure. And then he got home and wasn't and maybe even lied about winning cards so that he could have a secret leave when my kid is five fund yeah i mean that's it's not clear it's not clear yeah. and i think that but i think that you know dad unlikely death and dad leaves in the middle of the night are both things that that get us to the same to a similar place in the story i think that dad leaving explains why she doesn't rhapsodize more about him Yes, it explains, dad leaving explains a lot more about her. Right. Dad dying and dad leaving, I mean, as far as Bobby's concerned, dad died. Right. So that doesn't change his, you know, weird pedestal, but also believes everything his mom says about what a lousy guy his dad was, but also he's looking for this father figure that he finds in Ted. There's a weird... My Girl 2 has a similar-ish plot. It's ten. It's like a decade later. It's okay. the 70s. But in that, Anna Chlumsey's Anna Chlum- character, uh, Veda, is basically trying to find out about her mom. And okay. like hearing all these stories about her and meeting people that knew her. And sort of seeing how that measured up to what her dad had told her. And like what she had no reason not to believe and, and whatever. I think okay. it turns out that he wasn't lying about her. And it was all fine. There wasn't any subterfuge or whatever. I think that's how that movie turned out. But like okay. in this, it's sort of like, uh, and, it, and it definitely has the feeling of like a coming of age sort of situation. Sure. Which this also had a feeling of like in when he forgave her for betraying Ted at the end of the movie. Yeah. It sort of felt like he was forgiving her for sort of holding his dad against him. Yes. In a sort of like grown up way. Yeah. Like I'm. I know that I'm the man of the house now, even though I'm 11. Right. <laughs> like it, it. It felt. It felt like a resolution that that would have made more sense. Uh, like if he'd been 
just a scotch older. Yeah. And, and like, I know they couldn't, like, if it had taken place over a, a little bit longer time, or if that sure. scene where he, like, forgave her had been, like, one year later, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Although that's a long time to hold, to be pissed off at your mom. Not I mean, to I guess- mention that that happened when they were moving, which they had to do because she no longer had a job. She, right, and she got a job near Boston. And she right. got a job near Boston. Right. Yeah. I mean, overall, I liked it. Yeah. In the grand scheme of... Stephen King adaptations, I'd say it was a bit lackluster. Yeah. But. Can we talk for a second about Stephen King and moms? Yeah. I had, Sorry, I had You're started fine. wrapping up because I forgot we were going to talk about that. Yeah, I, I just think, I think his, I think his take on moms is really interesting. Because, like, I'm thinking of the moms in his stories. Carrie's Carrie. mom. Holy crap. Uh, like, Lee Harvey Oswald's mom. Right. Oh, holy holy crap. crap. Also, yeah. I mean, uh, Stan's mom in It. The um uh, oh yeah 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 Munchausen by proxy yeah yeah holy um, crap <laughs> holy crap uh Danny's mom in The Shining not really she was just sort of a victim along with him okay Cujo the mom same thing Pet Cemetery same thing yeah I'm trying to think of other things uh Bill Hodges we never we in the second book did we get to know their mom at all a little bit there was that section that focused more on Jamal's sister Barbara yeah and I feel like we got. We kind of spent some time with the mom, but yeah. I wouldn't say that she became a character. Yeah. If I recall. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like, I mean, in in the Dark Tower, the movie, which was, we can call that a condensation of some of the events sure. of the Dark Tower. The parents are like, and, you know, specifically, and the mom are sort of like, it's sort of like you trust your mom to be a safe harbor. And what if she wasn't? Right. And I guess you can lump both mom as victim and mom as monster into that same folder because it's like what if your mom wasn't there to protect you or whatever right it's two different sides of the same coin right right but like i think like when i read eleven twenty two sixty three, i feel like i then read a bunch of things um and sadie's mom was kind of shitty right in the mist the mom was basically a macguffin but wasn't there to protect the kid like okay. so it's like in the Langoliers, Dinah's mom didn't, like, she would, just wasn't there. Right. She was never with Dinah during the whole course of that story. Dinah had been traveling with her aunt. Right. Craig Toomey's mom was kind of like a background, non-existent. Like a ghost that was haunting him, right? Am I remembering it wrong? Like, Well, his dad was like an abusive alcoholic, right. and I think his mom fell into the victim category. Right. In The Dark Tower, uh, Roland's mom uh, betrays the entire kingdom. Okay. Again, it's a long series, you guys. There's not a lot to... I mean, there's yeah. there's lots of, of, of plot beats. But his mom betrays the entire kingdom. And, like, there's a whole thing in that series about remembering the face of your father. So there's okay. a weird, like, father figure, good, mother figure, either weak or evil. <laughs> there's a the whole thing in um, The Stand, too, with Franny being pregnant. Yeah. Versus... Nadia? Mm, I'm Natasha? not sure. Natasha? You know who I'm talking about? No, um, kind of. The the chick who goes off to be with Randall Flagg. Right. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. And he keeps saying that he's going to, like, plant his seed in her. And, like, she was a virgin. Yeah. What was her name? Started with an N. I think it was maybe Nadia. Nadine. Nadine. Yes, yes, yes. Right. So there's a, there's a whole. I thought I, I saw it first in eleven twenty two sixty three, and then in in it, 
But uh, there's a whole like your mom as emotional vampire thing going on, uh-huh. which is a weird running theme. Yes, to have in, <laughs> as an author. Yeah, it sort of it sort of makes me feel like in like a hundred years there'll be a college class about like so what was up with Stephen King's mom and like yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to go through the notes that we took, not one by one, but to see if there's anything else to discuss before we wrap up. Yeah. Did you notice how the how gigantic those root beer bottles were? No. They were the size of longer than Bobby's arm. It was like a gigantic root beer. Really? Yeah. They were huge. It I was, did not notice that at all. It was comical. Let's see. Um, I thought it was weird that um, Anton Yelchin was like a Russian refugee. Like, when he was six months old, his family defected from Russia. Oh, okay. Um, And then there was, like, one of his first movies was this movie where it was like, this is all about Russians and communists and stuff, right? And it's like, oh, weird. It's weird. This was? There's a point in the movie where he was reading the paper to Ted and, like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was like, it's all about Russians and commies and and all this stuff. I think he was trying to make a a connection to the low men. Okay. um, Which we haven't really talked about, but which didn't play as big a part as I thought they would having been mentioned yeah the low men are what ted calls the bad guys who are chasing him right so yeah it, it, it was it's interesting like to have him with his background having being a character that is in this time period yeah i think the dislocated arm is such a is such a, an overused trope because it's like whoa so bad big pain oh my god i can't believe how much pain i'm in that was a bad accident or whatever and then pop, it's fixed. Yay! Yeah, even though my understanding is that's not quite how it works. Right. Like once your shoulder has been relocated, right. you typically have to like put it in a sling and not use it for a while so you don't re-dislocate it. Right. But And granted, in this case, they didn't have time to do that. Right. I assume that once Bobby's mom took Carol home, her mo- her own mother would have taken her to the doctor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you'd imagine that they go to a doctor or whatever, or get, at least have a, an arm sling. Yeah, I'm kind of mad at Ted for being like, I can fix this. Yeah. like, And she's like, are you a doctor? He's like, no. No. Anyways, here we go. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, uh, William Goldman did the screenplay for this. Yeah, guy who wrote Princess Bride. He, he wrote Princess Bride. He also wrote the screenplays for Butch Cassidy and also... Uh, uh, All the President's Men, which are two very good movies for dialogue, you know, if for nothing else. Like, they're very cool scripts and, and like... I don't feel like this one... No, this one... Did they, a lot of anything. I feel like the parts... Well, I mean, like, again, it was it was like Anthony Hopkins and some kid. You know, all, all apologies and rest in peace, Anton Yelchin, but, like, some 11-year-old kid versus right. Anthony Hopkins. When it's, like... Uh, Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman or Robert Redford and Paul Newman talking sure. to each other or like Carrie Elwes and, and uh, Robin Wright Penn. Right. Or, or, or um, Mandy Patinkin. Yes. Mandy Patinkin. I was like Inigo Montoya. Inigo Montoya. No, that's not his name. <laughs> Inigo. No, stop it, brain. I mean, it's basically. <laughs> I'm, sh- I'm sure he gets called that and probably answers to it. I'm sure. I'm sure. But it's like it's like he writes great dialogue, and I think that if it was if it was being performed between two adults, those were the scenes that would have really shone yeah. a lot brighter. And I think as it is, they 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 were pretty they were pretty good, at, you know, d- regardless of the of the difference in in talent and experience and stuff. Yeah, I guess. 
But uh, I thought that was really weird. He also wrote Dreamcatcher, um, the screenplay for Dreamcatcher, which is another Stephen King adaptation, which uh, our patrons uh, will, I will, I think I mentioned it in my pilot episode of the Dreamcatcher Minute, which I did literally just that one episode of the first <laughs> minute. Uh, but I believe William Goldman was someone that I, that I talked about on that because I was like, huh, I actually may have already, I may have also said, oh, and he also did the screenplay for Hearts in Atlantis. So, um, you know, just redundancy because he did both within like, Two, two years time. Yeah. He died fairly recently, didn't he? I think so. Oh, I didn't like the way Anthony Hopkins said the word kiddo. It felt it felt so weird it coming out of his mouth. Yes. Yes. Because yeah. he's like a classically trained older British man. Right. Like he's too good to say kiddo. Unless he unless what he was going for was otherworldly magic old man is trying to act like he's just a chill human. I'm sure that's exactly what he was going for. Like, he come would, on, kiddo. Whether he, whether he was going for otherworldly magic old man or just old man trying to sound like he's hip with the times. Right, right. But it, it I mean, it, it came across that way yeah. to me. Yeah. Which I'm sure is what he was going. It, I, I have to assume it was what he was going for because I don't think that Anthony Hopkins can say kiddo without sounding that way. Yeah. Um, I have just like two or three more things. Uh, I said, I said, oh, to be a boy with a friend who's a girl who you have to be gruffly boy-y towards. I think it's a little, I've had, all right. I've had this thought. I think it's a little weird when people are like, oh, you know, someday you're going to be begging her to, to go to prom with you or whatever. I think it's a weird, like, thing to say to a little kid yes. but i think it's because of this type of interaction yeah where it's like ugh, gross don't even get me started so gross yeah i don't <laughs> think that people would say stuff like that to him if they were just like clearly just friends right but yeah given that it was pretty clear that they had a thing for one another yeah um and then i guess uh do we want to talk at all about alan tudyk alan tudyk was in this and it was a very short little scene yeah where he plays a guy at the fair playing three card monty yeah and gets kind of upset when bobby beats him and wins a bunch of money yeah yeah he was he was alan tudyk solid alan tudyk performance yep you know once again i said he reminded me of christian bale in newsies because he had like a red bandana tied around his neck and he was doing the same kind of voice yeah and accent is the word i'm looking for the same kind of accent yeah and yeah like he was wearing the hat. Yeah. Yeah. Fan fiction. Jack is a time traveler who goes into the 1960s and does three card Monty at the fair. I mean, if he was going to time travel, I bet it would be to play three card Monty. I bet Jack would be pretty good at three card <laughs> That's Monty. True. That's true. Yeah. But, yeah. So, I mean, like. I'm I- always delighted when I get a surprise Alan Tudyk. Absolutely. And you get them a lot because yeah. he's been in a ton of stuff. Well, and you get them in things that you're like, what? Yeah. That was Alan Tudyk. Like the droid, like BB-8's voice in the star wars movies is alan tudyk oh really like the boop peep well and uh hey hey in moana yeah is alan tudyk yeah well and this was 2001 yeah so it was before serenity or before firefly and i feel like his career- wasn't it like right at Fi- wasn't firefly like 2001 like wasn't it, it may 2000 it, my oh, mom maybe three my mom was watching it when i was in college. Right. right so right. 2002, maybe 2003. I can't remember off the top of my head. Rich watched it in our apartment when it was on. Okay. So like, you know, it was on when it was on at like 1230 in the morning or whatever. 
And then the next week it would be on at like 9 p.m. on a different day. (laughs) And then the next week it would be on on a totally different time and day. And Fox is like, I don't understand why the ratings for this are so bad. Fox. Freaking Fox. (laughs) But yeah, I feel like his career, like he had done a bunch of small parts like this. Wait, so a Knight's, he was in A Knight's Tale before Firefly. That's crazy. Oh, I forgot he was in A Knight's Tale because I really hated that movie. It was a weird movie. Yeah. I get, I mean, I feel like I've seen him in more bigger parts. I mean, I say bigger, but like, you know, he was, he was the Duke of Weselton in Frozen. He was Hey Hey and Moana. Like they were not big parts, but like, I mean, those were major blockbuster Disney movies. Right. So I feel like his cachet, I guess, is going up. Like he's able to kind of take the voice of bb8 making some right. weird robot noises right and was like he's kind of become a disney actor because star yeah. wars is disney yep. now yep so was that anthony rap and road trip yeah the okay. the ra yeah who was like the cult guy yeah they have a very similar look yeah i i was just like i can i feel like i was like i feel like um alan tudyk's biggest part should have been in like rent and i was like james that's because you're picturing anthony Rapp. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they they I, they look a lot alike they yeah. have very similar coloring and yeah glasses sometimes i guess i don't i can't i can't picture, picture alan, alan tudyk, tudyk in glasses, glasses. <laughs> <laughs> but they have, I have like the impression similar... of him wearing glasses yeah they have similar <laughs> you're probably picturing anthony Rapp. <laughs> oh right that's that's the mistake i mean they have similar coloring and yeah. similar like bone structure and stuff yeah um voice timbre voice timbre yeah, yeah that's is that a word are you thinking the word timber uh, is timbre a word? T i m b r e, like the like a quality of uh-huh. voice is pronounced timbre. Is it really? Yeah. Why? Pff, French? Uh, it just is. Huh. I actually I had no idea. I've always said it timbre. I think um, on some podcast I was listening to, I think they looked it up one time, and I think both are acceptable. Okay. There's definitely a band though called Timber Timber, which is spelled T i m b e r and then r e. Oh, okay. Um, which is cool. I mean, not not cool. It is a thing. It is a thing. Let's wrap up. Yeah, let's wrap up. Uh, social media. Oh, one thing. This was a walk in the park for Anthony Hopkins. That was all I wanted. Oh to say. yeah, it didn't look like <laughs> he didn't break a sweat doing this. Yeah, role. there was no character <laughs> yeah. for him to play. Yeah. He was just an older man. If you told me that Anthony Hopkins literally saw the lines right before the scene filmed and like knocked it out of the park, but like yeah, he definitely could have done this on like a lunch break. Yeah. All right. Social media. M- much like uh, Tom Hanks in Catch Me If You Can. Yep. That's exactly like th- right. This was a... Solid performance, great, memorable role. Not a lot to it. <laughs> right. Right. So we have social media. Yep. Uh, join our Facebook group. Yeah. It's called Unabashedly Obsessed with Unabashedly Obsessed. We have lots of fun over there. We're planning a meetup for anybody local to come see Pet Cemetery with us. And even if you're not local, you could see Pet Cemetery the same night. Yeah. And then... We're going to talk about it on the podcast, and then we'll talk about it in the Facebook group. Hey, listen, if you go do that, and you, like, post a ticket stub or something, I, I have souvenirs that I apparently now, it's a tradition that I give out uh-huh. at, at meetups. He'll send you I'll, one. I'll mail you one. if you Send me a ticket stub from that night, um, and we'll let you know what date that is. It's somewhere in the, in the end of April. Yeah. I think it um, might be early April. I think the movie comes out it? April 5th. I was under the impression it was, like, April 25th or something that we were... Anyways... We'll, we'll, Sometime we, in April. We will sort it out. Yeah, I'm a little nervous about that one. Uh, horror on the big screen uh, makes me just like two ticks more like nervous. We were fine with uh, it. I know, but I went in with a little bit of apprehension. Like really? I went in like, 
uh, and then he showed it like like stupid teeth when he, yeah and i was like oh this will be fine <laughs> yeah but like, this, this one i am more nervous about yeah. just because like already the story yeah. has me very apprehensive yeah. you can also find us on twitter at ufo podcast where you decide what the f stands for james yes what does the f stand for this week um flatulence kids always think farts are funny posh anthony hopkins yep individually we can be found on twitter i'm at unabashedly aaron i'm at unabashed james we have a patreon as we mentioned this this episode is brought to you by a patron yep uh amity what we started doing with our last uh ten dollar tier uh uhf we took notes during the movie mm-hmm. uh which we're going to post on the patreon um, yep, for ten dollars for the ten dollar tiers yep and also if there are any during the editing of this if there's any section that aaron is moving to an outtakes that will be on the ten dollar tier early too. Yeah, I don't think we'll have anything for this no, one. No, this is this, but this one was pretty straightforward. But if, but in the future, if there's a ten dollar tier that you sign up for, those are the perks of of doing it. Yes. And so, if, so we took notes, many of which we didn't talk about on this episode, but they will be available on Patreon for our ten dollar tier members or higher. Yep. You can also go to our merch store. The Patreon is at oh. Patreon.com/slash/UnabashedlyObsessed. Sorry. No, it's fine. Forgot about that. <laughs> we also have a merch store. It is cafepress.com slash unabashedly obsessed. Put our cartoon faces on things. Please do. We that's a, It remains a great logo. And uh, I love seeing it on my coat, now on my pin that I have on my mm-hmm. jacket. The logo was designed by Emily Cardamus, who you can follow on Twitter at Corrupted Gem. And on Tumblr at artfulhypothesis.tumblr.com. Thank you also to Jamie Shaheen for our theme song. Did you guys know there was a ladder down here? Good reading. Thank you. Which <laughs> you can find more of Jamie's music with his band A Silent Few on YouTube. This has been a very strange, and I mean that in the way that Carol describes uh, Ted, mm-hmm. episode of Unabashedly Obsessed. I'm James. I'm Aaron. Smoking kills. And so do pennies. And uh, if you see a want ad for our name with our names on it, tell us and then run like hell's after you. Yes. A want ad? A lost dog ad. It wasn't a want ad. It wasn't looking at the classifieds. Yeah. It was a lost dog poster. Yeah. Like on a telephone pole and in shop windows. It was a lot cooler in the story. Mm-hmm. In, in, the, in the book, it was like, oh, oh my God. Because it, it was like lost. Like, and if you if you paused it and read it, it was cool. But like, yeah. it was like lost dog. We miss him very much. It was so sinister. And oh, stuff. yeah. Well, and it was like gray hair or gray fur and blue eyes. And that was, I, so I had forgotten Ted's last name. Yeah. So I saw that. And yeah. I was like, gray fur and blue eyes. What a cool looking dog. Oh, wait, that's just Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> now, Anthony Hopkins would make a cool looking dog and no one can deny he that. He really would. Yeah. Very dignified and cool. Woof.